Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This week, Logar the Barbarian joins me. We talk about podcasting, recruiting players, dealing with problem players, general gaming, and all sorts of other groovy topics. Sisters and brothers, it's time to get rambling. Hello, Logar. Hello, Jeff. How are you doing today? I am doing quite fine. How are you doing this fine, bright and early morning? I'm doing good. I've had about three, three and a half hours worth of coffee in me, <laughs> so I'm bright and chipper. <laughs> yep, I'm likewise. Two cups of coffee in me. I'm, I'm <laughs> rare and, and ready to go. I, we've been playing online with COVID lately. So this computer that I'm playing at is my my game computer, is, or that we're recording at is a game computer where we've been playing. And I keep a, a coffee pot right here to the left oh of my me goodness. so that if I need to uh, pull out a pot of coffee or put refill while I'm doing anything, I can have it immediately available to go. So so it, it appears that you've got a history of uh, needing to ingest large amounts of coffee in order to keep awake. <laughs> yeah, I drink a lot of coffee. I've cut it down over the years, but I'm a, I'm a big coffee drinker. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've had to kind of taper back a little bit uh it's sometimes it works in my favor sometimes later on it doesn't work in my favor yeah so you started start podcasting i think was it earlier this year when did you start podcasting under wobblies so, and wizards the wobblies and wizards name is new the wobblies and wizards has only been around for about a month we had a blog that we were blogging on and there and the, the podcast episodes were sporadic and everything was done under the old blog name about a little over a month ago, a month or two ago, we were at game and someone said, Hey, why don't you try using the wobblies and wizards name for your blog and stuff? I don't see why you don't. It's a catchy, memorable name. So it's probably a good idea. So bought the URL transitioned everything over. And I said, okay, you know what, this week I'm going to try to do, an episode a day of this blog that I had, or this podcast that I had attempted to do and see where that goes. And then the week after that, I was like, okay, I'm going to set another goal, an episode a day and so on and so forth. So I've just been kind of doing that for now. So it went from not really doing anything with it, just occasional and sporadic. We deleted most of, I think all the old episodes are deleted now. At first I left them up and then slowly deleted them because things were getting better and they were kind of crappy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what you have to do. I think you just kind of sort of just have to be willing to put out things that aren't so great in order to improve. Yeah, it's been a big learning curve. We've improved in this last month. And part of that was just me watching YouTube videos, trying to learn what I was doing. I had very little experience in things like editing audio and stuff. I had more experience professionally with video. Uh, but there's some similarities I'm realizing, and most of the audio video editing that I did in the past was involved with video. So, so you are so you're editing. I couldn't I couldn't tell because I think in some ways, which has been good, is sometimes there are some mistakes that are left in there. I could tell where you start to say something and maybe yes. change your mind. So, so I I was thinking that you weren't, and I was also very impressed that you're able to go through because <laughs> I have a. We'll, we'll talk about that later, but. So, but it, it, they all sound great. And, but it also, I think because maybe you're leaving those in, it actually does sound a little more spontaneous rather than 
and then some it's tightly edited. Yeah, there's some editing that goes on. I don't know how tightly edited it is. Uh, some of it's just kind of background noises and weird stuff. We've been doing, we just started this week. We had uh, multiple people on the podcast now. It's not just me. And I've been editing certain things in that more so, and I'm editing that differently. I wasn't editing at first, but I've I've kind of made it there. And we record about a week, a week and a half off. So a lot of the editing from the last couple of weeks where I've been improving and learning hasn't quite come out yet. So we'll see where that goes. So are you recording in the same studio or are you recording different channels uh, remotely? How are you doing that? We're doing it all remotely, straight through Zoom. I've got, you can record it down from, two, each person gets their own little file. Yeah. And then I pull it up in Audacity and I've been editing through there. So are you so, using a PC or are you using a Mac? I'm using a PC. I've never been a Mac person. I am I, I PC Windows or Linux. I've 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 had I have I use Linux a little less nowadays. I used to be a big Linux nerd back in the day when I was doing more uh, development and design stuff. That's probably been ten years since I was really into that. Yeah, my daughter think, uses a Linux machine that I gave her. <laughs> I think Linux also seems to be that's a, a hobby in itself. So I yeah. think if you get older, you're like ah, I just I just want to do what I need to do. I don't need to be. Uh, you know, hacking away at these things. So, uh, so you're using not, so I'm, I've got a Mac. So what I did is I defaulted to GarageBand. So my, my choice was GarageBand or Audacity. And it appears that Audacity is probably just a little more complex in its presentation. And so I've, I've not, I've not used it yet. I thought about switching. I am not familiar with GarageBand. I am familiar with Audacity because I have used it a little bit in the past i've always been one to use like i said i used linux so i've always used a lot of open source type software freeware and stuff like that so perhaps there's less of a learning curve since i'm kind of familiar with that world i'm not i wouldn't say i'm a computer geek i was a plus certified years ago and that led to work but after that i kind of did not stay into it as a passionate thing yeah, I think that's a young man's game or a young person's game. Uh, likewise, I think when we're younger, it's reading all the the magazines and came up on this and that. But there's a certain point where it's just, I just want to turn something on it to work. I don't want to have to be programming scripts or doing yeah. whatever. <laughs> it's like Yeah, it's a bit much for me. I, don't, <laughs> I have a, like with the blog I do, I, I use WordPress and 99% of that's just plug and play. I mean, if I need to go in the back end and adjust something, I have an ability to probably going to have to use Google to be honest. Like, okay, wait a minute. What do I got to do here? But yeah. Well then the, so the blogging really having a history of blogging then helps you out. Cause I don't have a history of writing. So, <laughs> and that's what, what I think for you being able to do a scheduled, uh, a regular podcast every, every day, <laughs> at least publishing every day. Uh, and that's, I, that's the thing I guess to talk about too, because you are doing a podcast. It's about what about 10, maybe 12, 13 sometimes minutes. So we've been keeping it at 10, trying to keep it at 10 minutes. Sometimes it goes over, definitely under 15 daily. Now, the thing that we're experimenting with is my game group has been jumping in on some of these. And we're gonna be recording half hour episodes for the weekends with the with right now, just with the game group. We had planned on just going over and talking about Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. 
That's going to be next week. When we went to record, we lost some of the players because of, you know, whatever conflicts. So we said, okay, we'll just record something. And within the last hour or two, we came up with the topic of discussing uh, Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing game art. And we went with it. So it didn't go as planned, but we went ahead and plowed through that. So hopefully the Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, two half-hour episodes on the weekend, I figure we're going to try it for a little bit and see how it goes. So one of the things that we're trying to do with the blog originally is it's kind of our game group's blog. So there's only a few from the game groups that have contributed, but it's open to everybody that plays with us in our mini games, kind of an extended group of folks that know each other and play together. Well, I mean, it, you know, so my experience with my gaming groups I've been in, it's like, it's hard to get them to maybe read, you know, a page of background material. So you actually have people that are willing to block. So this is like, well, I think what you found is an anomaly that uh, probably shouldn't exist. You got actually multiple people that want to produce uh, content. Well, I've got a lot of experience with doing blogs over the years, getting getting content produced and out there, as well as organizing. So those things, I think, do come in handy when you're trying to do something like that. So, So like... Why are you doing so? Why are you doing the the podcast? What's what's the what's the what's the driving force? What made you say you know one day it's like I, we I or we need to do this thing? I'd say there's a couple different things that pl- factor into that. Um, I think that we saw a niche that we thought that we could fill in gaming, uh, but on top of that, we're just really into role playing games. We're we're like, we play twice a week on our game group. We have, we do alternating weeks. So it's every other week is a certain game. That way, a lot of people can only make it every other week. We can have more players join in instead of saying you have to be here every week. Right. Um, so we, one of the drives is just that we're really like, I've been playing these games for over 30 years. Like I'm really, I, I'm, you think by now I'd be like, but, but no, I get into it. I've been getting into it since I was a kid. Um, and the other drive, I think, is like a lot of the stuff we've been doing, like I've got just piles of of 30 years worth of just stuff I've written for games and ran. And like we're starting thinking, oh, well, we might want to put some of this stuff out there. So I've been trying to format some of it and looking at what we can do and put out zines. And that's kind of part of a push to start podcasting and get ourselves out there a little bit too. Cause like, I want to be able to say, Hey, look, now they're going to put out some stuff that we ran. Here's the little, uh, little deal here that we have. And we're kind of figuring out where we're going to go with some of that, some of the dungeons and stuff, starting small, seeing what people think of that. So, well, I do think the, the 10 minute daily format is a, uh, is definitely a good spot to go. I mean, that's a very easy for people to commit to, you know, where you look at a podcast, it's an hour and a half or two hours or three. I mean, just like, because there's been some, it's like, oh, you know, <laughs> I enjoy your podcast, but not two and a half hours worth of your podcast. So, yeah, <laughs> I, like, I'll be honest, too. I'm not the biggest podcast listener. I do listen to some that I like. I can tell you now, like uh, the my my two favorites that are out there aren't even game ones. It's uh, Stephen West's Philosophize This because I'm a big philosophy nerd. Really love philosophy, oddly enough. Um, and then there's the what's the, what's that one I listen to? It's called Behind the Bastards. Those two I listen to a lot. I do listen to some game podcasts. Uh, Plundergrounds is one. Uh, the Grognard Radio Grognard and and um, 
And there's another couple that I listen to. Oh, the Glitter Boys I've been listening to. But they tend to be mostly, aside from the Glitter Boys, about a half hour, maybe 15 minutes. But a lot of them tend to be the 10-minute gaming podcast. I really get into those ones. Yeah, and I think that's definitely, but that's also uh, doing it on a daily basis is pretty tricky. I mean, I, I don't know being able to come up with <laughs> ideas, that many ideas. and <laughs> But I think the thing is, but you could break things down in a very simple way because of that. I mean, you could take, we're going to go over the monster man or whatever, maybe I know people have done that, but uh, like monster man, but you, you can do it in smaller segments, but also still have a theme going throughout. Yeah. So we've been trying, trying to tackle a lot of things. And one of the things that we're talking about looking at, and we've been really doing is kind of going on the edges of role-playing games. Like some of the things we'll probably end up talking about in the future will be food and furniture, things that are involved with our actual gaming. Like furniture is a big thing for a lot of gamers. Like when we talk about our bookshelves and our tables and stuff, I mean, how many gamer geeks have sat there and like drooled over that big gaming table? And our gaming group does a lot of like potlucks and stuff like that so there's a lot of areas that we've been trying to kind of talk about that aren't exactly 100 the game but then at the same time i've been doing stuff like going into individual stats of monsters and, and classes and stuff as well when you start going down those holes there's a lot of stuff one of the things that we've been focusing on is zines because i'm really into a lot of the zines especially the osr old school style zines that have been coming out so there's content and you can't really cover everything in every episode. If there's some overlap between the subjects, I'm not trying to avoid that necessarily. So there is that. As for keeping up a constant output of a daily, I don't think that's the most difficult thing. Cause if you think about seven, 10 minute episodes, that's a little over an hour of recording. If you're recording an hour worth of content a week, I don't do it every day. I'm doing it ahead of time and then I'm editing them down. It's quicker to edit a small video than a large one. Yeah. I think the thing is, is at least right now, it just seems like it is, um, it is segmented. It's not a con like a continuous, you're not doing mm -hmm. a series, let's say. So I think doing a series to me is, is much would be easier to do than what you're doing, which is just, I don't want to say you're all over the map, but it's, it, it's <laughs> but it right now, and I'm not saying to be derogatory, but I mean, that to me takes a lot more mental energy to focus in on each one of those for only a certain amount of time. Oh, also, I think one thing that helps with that is I'm extremely ADHD. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Even the way I read, one of the reasons I love role-playing books is because of the same reason I, I read a lot of like, this like big obscure obnoxious like academic literature like Habermas and stuff like that is because when I read through those like academic books and these like publications I can go through the footnotes in the back and they lead me to other books so I'm reading segments jumping from one to the other from book to book and I do the same with role-playing books I read a lot but I don't read straight through often yeah I remember one of your podcasts you say you just you, well, you sit down with a with a, a stack of books and you just tend to just like uh they take you down rabbit holes. Now I don't say rabbit <laughs> holes, but you just kind of follow, you follow the rabbit. Yeah, that's what I do. And I do that with game books. So often the topic can change or the, I often also just follow that specific topic to a nuance at times that way. And it's just the way I've always read and stuff. Yeah, so I don't think. 
Yeah, the other thing is you're also doing this by yourself. At least you've got a co-host now, or at least a part-time co-host, but but you've also yeah. been doing these by yourself, which I find yeah. is like commendable because I try doing I mean, when I first started doing this, just doing an introduction, I just I was having a hard time just staring at the microphone and talking. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I can ramble. If I'm on a topic that I am interested in, I can go on for a while because I've probably spent a little time reading on it and getting into it. And before I say something, I usually have something in my head that has been pondered and thought about. And I've got, well, like I said, over 30 years of role-playing games in my noggin that I haven't really, like, aside from playing, I haven't rambled about yet. Well, I think to me what the difference is 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 not that you – people don't have something to say. I mean, I don't have something to say, but the idea of not having the input or the, 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 like the energy of talking to somebody else and to just mm. to be staring at the microphone, but maybe you've got somebody there, but to actually carry out a certain amount of energy rather than just talking. And yeah. that's where I think you're able to, to do that in a way that I look at it as like, there's no way. I mean, I'm not <laughs> saying I could never get to that point, but I just know myself. It's just like, it's, it's a struggle if there's nobody else to talk to. I don't see it too much different than public speaking. Cause while you do have an audience with public speaking, often when you get up there, you're there, you're the one that has to do this. There's not, not often someone responding to you. So you got to kind of lead that dialogue and put it out there. So I see it very similar to doing public speaking. I and actually, just, to me, it's actually not, it's being the opposite, <laughs> <laughs> but that may be just the way our personalities yeah. are. Yeah. I, uh, I come off, I think I'm, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm loud and boisterous at times, but I'm very introverted at the same time, oddly enough. Like instead of being out amongst people or in public or like going to a store, I'd much rather be in my basement with my books reading. Yes. <laughs> but I am a, a boisterous person. I think part of that's just just being raised the way I was raised in my family. They tend to be loud and boisterous. Yeah. And I think that at least I think for a podcast that definitely lends itself well to to make interesting listening, because it's if you don't put, give some sort of energy out, I mean, obviously, it's just going to people are not going to be interested either. It's no matter how interesting your subject is, if you're presenting it in a way that doesn't have some sort of energy, people are just not going to listen. Yeah. And I've, I've flipped through a lot of like, I flip, I try to flip through a lot of the D and D podcasts on my Spotify. I listen to a lot of music. Most of what I listen to is music. I'm a big music geek, but when I'm flipping through podcasts, I'm just like, ah, especially lately when I'm podcasting, I'm trying to, find other D and D podcasts I'm into. And sometimes I'll run across some that it's a little, yeah, it gets a little slow and it's not as easy to listen to uh, in drones. And I, I have a hard time. I, I'm not trying to talk bad about anybody. I'm not going to name anybody, right. but there's a few I've run into. I'm like, I need a little pep here. So I think there is some of that, but I found more positive ones. I feel than ones like that. Well, I think probably most of the people that are doing the podcasting are probably people that have a, at least a certain amount of, I don't say, you're probably hitting at least a certain type of demographic, I would, I would think. I don't know what that demographic is. <laughs> but maybe <laughs> it's least- a type that's a little more peppy. I don't know. And I, I agree, most, most of the ones, I, I've not heard too many duds at all as far as just people not being 
having that energy, but it definitely takes energy. Probably no different than going to, to class. You've had some professors that absolutely love their subject and you can tell, and there's a certain amount of energy and there's other people. Mm-hmm. It's just like, they may be conveying the same information, but there's just no energy coming from them. And it's just, you have a hard, at least me, yeah. I have a hard time engaging. Yeah, that does. That I, I, I really like academia. I'm a fan of it. I'd like to, I'd like to, go back and get further degrees at some point in time, but that's not an option right now. I got a family to take care of. Yeah. But yeah, there's, I can, I am, like I said before, I'm very ADHD. So when it comes to that kind of stuff, I I, I did terrible in high school, was not a successful high school student. I was in a very large high school and I was the bottom four of my class. Uh, After I went off to the Marines and everything else and and lived an adult life and and stuff, I went back to school and I, I ate it up. I loved it. I figured ways that I could pay attention because of the, as I have Tourette's and ADHD. And because of that, I had to kind of um, figure out ways to function and interact in society that were different and keys that work for me. And one of the things is sitting in the very front and center of a class. So I have figured out how to be able to listen to and pay attention, even though I have a hard time paying attention. I just had to find the tricks that work for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I think, you know, as we find is that, you know, I guess the the, the, the term now is neurodivergency, but, uh, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, I think the idea was, uh, you know, when we were growing up, I think you're a little younger than I am, but, but still growing up, it's just like, a lot of these things weren't really understood. Yeah. And it was just like, you just need to pay attention, you know? Oh yeah. And then, then, then the problem is you've got a problem. Not that we have one way of teaching that really only works for probably a certain segment very well, but for the other people, it doesn't. And there was an unwillingness to kind of explore different ways of, of teaching, I think. Oh yeah. Or at least I didn't live in a world like that. Like when I, so I was, I was, I think when I was growing up in the eighties and stuff, I was born, I'm 43. So I was, um, I, when I was growing up, a lot of these things weren't talked about as much. I, the reason that they even taught what they even talked about me having ADHD as a kid is because I did have Tourette's syndrome and it was, I couldn't go anywhere in public without getting attention from everybody. Cause I'd be making noises and jerking around and I didn't know I was doing it at first. Like people were saying, what are you doing? I, go, I don't know. It's a habit. I can't stop. <laughs> I was always the center of attention when yeah. I walked into a room. So after seeing a neurologist and they kind of like looked and said, okay, you have something called Tourette syndrome. And suddenly I was this poster boy for Tourette syndrome. <laughs> they'd send somebody from the news to the classroom and then they'd have me sit up in front of the school and tell everybody about it it was a terrible experience (laughs) right that's you know right for for being young you don't want to be noticed for those kinds of things yeah no and and a little ostracizing but i was also you know a DD geek back then and it wasn't cool to be a geek and nerd when i was doing that especially if you got Tourette's. we got a lot of slack for it but yeah so i guess so you've you've learned so i guess you know, you've you've done so. How's that affected your gaming? I'm I'm because I think also whenever you're dealing with a, a difference, uh, you're probably also dealing with things that also give you strengths as well. I mean, we tend to look at things as being negatives, but there's probably some positives as well as far as the ADHD. So, I mean, how do you think you've applied that to to running games or playing games and and writing? Well, I know that like when I'm when I feel that when I'm DMing. 
I feel that I'm able to quickly kind of turn around and adjust with the players as they're kind of doing strange things and throwing the loops. I run a sandbox style game lots of the times. I like to kind of go with the flow and see where the players take it. And I feel that that is a very, I guess I have a good mindset to respond in those ways, perhaps. Um, yeah, I think I think that I'd say that's how it kind of affects my gaming. I think on another level too, with with my experience with Tourette's as a young kid, is that I have um, lots of. I think I had an episode where I talked about how I kind of built up a sort of empathy for others, trying yeah. to kind of understand others who are different, and we've been able to create. I feel like our game group has tried our best to create an area where people feel welcome when they come in very patient with new gamers. We have a lot of new players come to our game group and they're able to kind of jump them into new games. We use a lot of simple rule system games for stuff like that. So I feel that's all kind of perhaps impacted in those areas. So, so, so how, how are you bringing new people in? What's your, like, are you, do you have a, because you are, are you meeting in homes? Or are you doing remote? I guess you're doing remotely, aren't you? So we're doing remotely now, but we've been mostly just playing in our. So I've got a little game room. It's my basement. It's just a lot of bookshelves. You can see the actually the game books aren't behind me. That's all. Right. <laughs> That's all heavy reading. <laughs> the game books are on that side of the room. Um, but oh yeah, people can't see at home. I forgot. I'm looking at the yeah, exactly. <laughs> Y'all, I'm sitting amongst bookshelves in my in my game room. You can describe it however you want. You know, you're at liberty because nobody will call you on it. Bookshelves and wood grain. <laughs> it's, it's got the old, really kind of like antiquated uh, late 70s, early 80s-ish wood grain throughout the basement. Yeah, I think it was known as Ponderosa Pine. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, but we have, a, I have a big, nice, I love it. I picked up this big, beautiful wooden table. I have only ever played in person until COVID. And I think we, we either are going to drop an episode where we talk about that or we just did, but just I've did. only ever played in person. Yeah. yeah. I never played online and it was a big learning curve. Yeah. Don't care for it as much, but I do like aspects of it, but we brought in a lot of new pay players beforehand. Um, and we, I don't feel we were unsuccessful. I think there are multiple reasons or ways we were able to do that. That may be, that may be, have worked to our benefit. Uh, one of those is just that I've got a lot of experience organizing and I throw some of the organizing tactics at it when I'm, when I'm approaching, like getting together a game group and stuff like that. <coughs> Excuse me. The other thing is that not only that, but we try to keep our group, um, like we have certain like rules and regulations for when we're approaching people, there's certain people we're not going to approach uh, if we feel that person would not be uh, safe or amicable within the space, we look for people who we feel would get along within our group. Uh, we also, we look for people with similar values too, because I think that sometimes I've noticed we've had some players who were involved who were very different value wise, perhaps weren't the safest people or for some people to be around. There were, there were issues uh, in regards to certain things. So we've kind of tried to avoid inviting people like that into the game group and kind of there's uh, not just you know i don't know how to phrase it there's a couple of us who have been the dms have kind of talked about okay is this person right for the group 
or would this person be someone who might argue and be a problem player? So. <laughs> you know what? You're right. We, 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 you know, we do this for fun, right? This is for escapism. Mm-hmm. This is for, uh, it's for a community of people to get together and laugh. The last thing we need to do is find somebody to argue about stupid stuff. Yeah. And we, we don't want to deal with people who are going to get involved in the group and just argue with others. That's not what we're looking for. And we want to make sure everybody feels comfortable and safe within the area because that's not a bad thing, you know? So that's what we aim for. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, it's like, you know, there's also a dynamic of people and you're right. Cause some people could also be just be, maybe they're not bad, but maybe there's such a strong personality that you're like, well, these people, they actually do well when there's not a strong personality, everybody contributes, but it could be even something like that too, where you may have a situation where you don't want somebody that's too strong coming into a group as well. Yeah. We, we have had positive results. I mean, I, throughout, I've been playing for a long time. I've seen all kinds of social dynamics and how people conflict. I mean, I've had, I've had players who are just going to come along and start hitting on other players and make it uncomfortable for them. I want to avoid that. I'm looking to avoid those kinds of things. It does not, it does not. I had one player who would, who had asked me because we were carpooling people to game and we're coming to my house. So I was like, okay, this is cool. I don't have to drive. Well, the one player didn't feel safe with another player because things they were doing. So next thing you know, I have, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to pick them up and drop them off. And that's the kind of stuff you don't want to deal with in when I'm organizing these things. I'm like, okay, are you going to have proper boundaries with people? That's an important thing sometimes. Cause that has, I have seen that harm the game group dynamic and make people drop off of playing. So, right. And it usually it's the wrong people that drop off. Yes. <laughs> it's the people that you want joining the people yes. that you want to build up, not the people that are the problem. <laughs> yes. And that's it. And, and that's, so that's things that we kind of try to look for ahead of time when we're looking at people for game. And that's one thing that I consider when, before I put an invite out there, like, okay, do I think you would socially be able to hand yourself? Do you have, good interpersonal skills with other human beings because especially at my age you know in our 40s you should probably have appropriate social boundaries and things like that and some people just don't (laughs) that's important to us right and well like i remember so i uh i work at caterpillar and i came in during uh this is a long time ago i started early in the 90s and up until that time uh there was, there were so many layoffs. There was no new workforce. Yeah. And then there came a point in the time where, uh, they hired new people, a lot of new people. And all those new people included young women and like people lost their minds. Managers lost their minds. It's just like, you would think that somebody would, but then all of a sudden it's like, until you see them in that situation, you probably would have no idea there would be problems. Like, yeah, there's. Uh, I've worked in workplaces like that, and things things get get in a, like they just get crazy. And people, you know, there's got to be certain appropriate boundaries for people. Like, just show each other respect as a human being, right? Right. Just <laughs> like just treat the other person like another person. Yeah. You know, it's like you know, it don't you know? It's like I remember you know talking about with like women and. You know, how to treat like women in games, which is like just pretend it's a guy as far as, you know, don't make anything that would be that you wouldn't say to a, another guy that would be awkward. You know what I mean? It's just well, like, 
I do think that sometimes too guys will say things to other guys. They probably shouldn't well, be saying to other women as yeah, well. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that I don't does occur. So. Yeah, there may be some filtering. I'm not saying that, but as far as this, like, you know, there's probably like if if a guy if a, a girl has a female character, but if yeah, a guy is running a female character, usually a guy will not, probably would not hit on another guy's female character. Yeah. You know, I mean, that kind of stuff. It's just like, but you're right. You, <laughs> there's probably also a point. There's There should be a certain amount of tact. <laughs> yeah, there needs to be appropriate boundaries. But I don't necessarily mean that, but, but, but yeah, but in general, it's just <laughs> like, you know, if you, you don't act that way towards a guy, don't be acting that way towards a woman. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, or vice versa, or whatever it may be. It's just like, you know, they just want to play too. They don't need, they didn't come here for drama. They didn't come here to be, you know, sexualized or whatever. Yeah. They, just, they just came to play oh, a game. Oh, yeah, and I've, and I've had that too in game when when somebody has like made comments about uh, a woman who's come to play that who's playing in that game and they're suddenly making comments about their body at the table is like, well, wait a minute, can you stop? <laughs> it's not. So yeah, I don't. We we try to avoid those kinds of situations. We try to make sure that there's, you know, the people that have done that kind of thing aren't don't play with us at this point. It was like, well, you know. Yeah, thanks, but that's not appropriate. <laughs> and we have had conversations with people in the past, like you're gonna have to adjust behavior, but it doesn't happen a lot. I don't have to do that a lot. I feel pretty secure with my group. They're a pretty good group of people. Right. Once it's established, I think it's just one of those times where and I've been pretty fortunate as well, is there's been times where I've had to do try and find people, lots of people, and generally my luck's been pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, the, as far as that goes. Well, I've been playing uh, in all in, in person for a long time. And I will say that I have had points where it was harder to establish groups than others. When my kids were young, I had a harder time playing regularly. In the early 2000s, like we would literally play like sometimes two or three times a year we try to get together and it wasn't happening about 10 or so years ago we got a regular campaign going that and i've been able to keep regular groups since then also the kids were getting a little started to get up there in age so i didn't need as much attention and everything else that was helpful right when you've got children that need constant attention it's harder to game they still don't. They still need constant attention. Don't get me wrong. It's just not as much constant right. attention. Right. Well, I think yes. Or the or the wife's feeling you're bailing on her just because yeah. uh, you know it's like, well, wait a minute. You're going to have fun while I'm dealing with screaming kids. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I was I was a single father, so oh, it, it made goodness. it a little so you're a little right. more difficult. So <laughs> like, the, oh. Yeah. So you definitely were, were were kind of doing all the roles of the of the household. Then that would definitely make it more difficult. Yeah. So they, uh, they've, they nowadays, they don't want to see me. They want to, they want to be away from me. They don't want me to say hello or knock on the door. They want me to leave them alone. So I get a lot more space and time to be able to play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's also been interesting too. It's with, I think with the, um, with the advent of, well, I say advent, but with the growing popularity of nerd culture, it's like, I'm just, absolutely impressed with the number of a variety of people that are now playing and oh yeah i love it uh it blows my mind and i have very mixed feelings sometimes in responses to certain things like I, so i am i am be like really 
really nerdy, I guess. I don't like the word nerd because when I was a kid, that I was know. one of the many things yeah. they called me that was like, oh, God, <laughs> like, there's a lot of words that are offensive that I'm not going to repeat, but nerd was lumped in with those. So when I got called a nerd was, is, you know, bothers me, but I guess nerd is the way to put it. Uh, and that's popular now. I'm not going to yuck anybody's yum. Right. <laughs> um, but like Dr. Who's a big one because I have been a Doctor Who obsessed kid since I was little. I got into the Tom when Tom Baker was the doctor and first coming to PBS in the US. And sometime in the 80s, like mid-late 80s is when I started role-playing. And the way I started role-playing was I, I had some money and my dad took me to the comic store. And there was Doctor Who, the role-playing game. I said, oh my goodness, this is Doctor Who. I get to be Doctor Who and play it? snatch there i was i was sold that's what got me into gaming and seeing doctor who as big as it was after hearing it like dogged on for decades is like huh i'm glad i'm getting more doctor who all right <laughs> that makes me happy <clears throat> yeah i think doctor who's a lot like the the princess bride uh because mm -hmm. i remember seeing it the first time i think my wife bought it on vhs and i'm like this I don't understand what's going on. This really isn't that good. <laughs> and then she would watch it, watch it. And I would start watching it. And it's like, then it's like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> I think Dr. Who's the same way. You, you got to go into a certain mindset. You can't go into a mindset like this is a high production set. You have to just embrace the whole, you know, whatever that is. Yeah. You have to embrace it. And I, I, I watch, I, I subscribe to BritBox so that I can watch them. I don't, I don't, I used to have tons of uh, videos and DVDs. I record them on VHS every week in the eighties when they would come on. Uh, but now I just do streaming. So we use BritBox to watch it. I've been watching more Blake seven here lately. Cause they got Blake seven on there now, which I watched as a kid as well. I love Blake seven. Cause I can watch about 10 or 15 minutes of it and fall asleep. <laughs> so, <laughs> so at night I'll be like, Hey, I'm going to put on some Blake seven. <laughs> She's like, Oh no, like, it's all right. It's just, you're almost asleep. <laughs> this will get me there, but I, I enjoy it. I like it. I just understand it's not going to keep my, you know, excitement going as I'm watching it, but I love the show. It's great. I, I try and avoid anymore watching too many things that are, um, that I enjoyed when I was a kid. <laughs> Cause I, I remember, I remember when I was in my twenties, I remember when I was a young boy, I saw the like, uh, like previews for Ultraman. Mm -hmm. And then I yeah, finally I saw that. the VHS. I put it in there, and and not having Marley really watching those kind of wacky uh, Japanese movies, I put that in there. Like excited, I get to see this thing from my childhood <laughs> that I always wanted to see. And it's just like, you know what? I wish I'd never found this tape. <laughs> <laughs> it remained yeah, perfect in my head. It was perfect well, in my head. That's the thing, though. When you go back to revisit a lot of these things, that people are very. Um, attached to we look we look at them through rose-colored glasses and i've noticed that a lot there's those rose-colored glasses that we attach to childhood especially now in the 21st century when grown adults are like getting into toys and comic books on tv and everything oh, yeah. everybody looks at everything with rose-colored glasses it's not quite what we remember but we remember it better i think also you know in you were on the in the same sort of cusp where there wasn't like when I grew up, there was no uh, we didn't have cable. 
you know, if you wanted to get news on things, you would get magazines. So by the time you got a magazine, it's already months old. So Starlog magazine, (laughs) you know, you catch glimpses of things. And I know as a kid, I mean, I would, I would alone a lot of the time. So I'd just have these fantasy where I'd, I guess be LARPing, I guess to lack of a word, I'd be Ultraman. You know what I mean? So obviously, obviously I created this ideal of Ultraman that, you know, it's just, you know, I think that's, that's what the nostalgia was for me was the experiences I had as a kid, not actually the property itself. And then, Oh yeah, that's a lot. And that's what got, what what really led me into role-playing is that whole imaginative play as a kid. Like when I got the, even when I got the Doctor Who role-playing box, I didn't know how to role-play. I started rolling up character sheets for yeah. my action figures. <laughs> and my, my buddies didn't have a DM. We would just try to roll up. We started getting role-playing games, and we didn't know what we were doing. And we would start making character sheets for the action figures and making our stories and running around like we did before. But now we had a sheet to fight <laughs> instead of I killed you. So that was how I started. It wasn't even done right with... Uh, as I say, with a DM or anything like that. One of the guys we played with like that joined someone else's group and learned how to DM that the whole structure of how to play. And he brought it back to us later. So yes, he, he, he brought the knowledge back. He went yes. to Shangri-La or whatever. Uh, <laughs> and, and came back. He's like, we're not tone. doing this right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they do it real different than we do. Like, but do they got action figures? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and I kind of wish, you know, it, you know, as wrong as it was, it was probably, in a sense, the spirit was more right than what we play. Yeah, it was fun. Like, we had a whole lot. Of, my friend's dad was a wrestler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, uh, like he had been a pro wrestler. He was like a local, like, minor league wrestler later on. And he was a cabinet man as well. But they had a full-on wrestling ring in the backyard. And that was the base for our, all our little Joes and Star Wars guys and everything else back there. We'd go back to the wrestling ring and that would be a giant world for them to play. <laughs> but we did it all there. Yeah. It was enjoyable. Yeah. It's uh that's, that's pretty crazy. And so, uh, so, so they, he brought back the, the, the knowledge of role-playing game and then all of a <laughs> yeah. sudden your, your lives were changed again to like, yes. house. now this is yeah. sustainable. And, I didn't play Dungeons and Dragons for years when we got into role playing. I played mostly superhero and science fiction games at first. So it was definitely a lot of superheroes games, probably from the Marvel uh, role playing game to the uh, Heroes Unlimited was the one we ended up playing the most. We had a, like a little world we played there for about, we had a campaign that lasted around 10 years. We just, cause we read a lot of comics. Well, they had the best ad. I, mean, I always saw that ad of, I don't know if it was a, it was a speedster, I can't remember, but I just remember this, this hero and the, 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 the graphic design of those ads was just beautiful, but we oh, never played yeah. it. Yeah, we played it constantly. It was, a, it was an obsession. And as the many revised and newer versions came out, we were like, yeah, let's get that. It was, we were into that. Heroes Unlimited was probably my number one role-playing game for years. That was the main thing. And I we started getting more, I started getting more into fantasy after third edition. So we, I played AD&D uh, in the early 90s. I started playing AD&D here and there. I never DM'd it. When the third edition came out, I was already in my 20s and I picked up the rule books. I, I picked up the player's guide, I think was the one that came out first. And I picked that one up. I had to wait for the other DM's guide. And we didn't even have the monster's manual at that time. And I ran it. 
but I was not a fan of it as much as other stuff. I ended up going back to playing AD&D for quite a long time after that. So and did you have problems fans. finding players uh, for running AD&D back then? Uh, no. Well, so there's a period there where I go into the Marine Corps and I'm raising young kids where, yeah, I had a hard time finding players for anything. Uh, about 10 or so years ago, when I started really just having steady campaigns of AD&D, I didn't have too much of a problem finding players. Of course, a lot of the players were like friends and family that I was already close to. I have brothers that play and stuff like that. So that's that was helpful. So, Yeah, because, I mean, especially during that time, I mean, it was so I wasn't playing during that time period. So when I started back up, I think it was in the 2000s. Um, the, I, th- at that, about that point in time, I'm trying to think, uh, you know, it had faded, but it was still the, I can't remember, I think four, fourth edition might've been out by then. I don't remember, but I know a lot of people were playing 3.5 still. But yeah. When fourth edition was out, that's when we were really playing a lot more AD and D. Yeah. And I, I, I played in a couple games. I just absolutely did not like it at all. Uh, I, I still never don't played like fourth. I've no, I mean, I mean, fourth. third edition. Oh, third, yeah. I have, I, I, I have my issues with it. I, I played that one. I ran that one campaign in two thousand. Um, but after that, I didn't really play anymore. I never played three point five. I don't know if the differences are much or not. Oh yeah, I, I think what they it. did is, and, and that's what I actually would play is three point five. It was it was simply they. I think they, I think they had to. You know, obviously, we think it's that mechanically driven. You it got was difficult it. for me to run. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's from my understanding is, did you ever play Magic: The Gathering? I have here and there. So the idea was is masters uh, the um, so for the uh, uh, for that game mastery is for Magic. It's mastery of the rules and understanding all the nuances and understanding the complexity of how cards interact that way of thinking was put into 3.0 or 3.5. Yeah. And there's, I was always a very loose, like, like I said, how we started, we were just kind of, you know, <laughs> figuring out how to do right. things, but we were always very loosey goosey with rules. But, right. but it but rewarded, if you played by the rules, it rewarded, intense study of the rules yes and that's where that was headed and that's why i think it was popular for a lot of people i did run pathfinder a couple times when it came out i I took me a few years to run it when it was out and i did run it a couple times and it was it's exactly that way and i I just i'm not gonna i can't yeah that's that's a style of play that's a little too much for me I need, I like to be able to just keep it as simple as possible because it can, it'll get complex anyways. <laughs> yes, it will. And I think the problem is I don't, I'd rather have the, I, you know, cause we started dealing with, with basically our mini games, right? So a lot of games like character creations is, is its own game within a game. Yes. And like I'm, I've been playing and really getting into these uh, year zero games and the system is really streamlined simple there's a a very base mechanic that goes across everything the stuff that free league is putting out i really appreciate those i get into a lot of old stuff but i get into a lot of the modern new stuff too i feel that's really new innovative stuff they're doing 
I like having that simple system that's easy to figure out and I can just, you know, know what to roll and make a judgment off that. That's pretty simple to go back to that mechanic. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, you know, really, you know, going back, it's what a lot of these, the newer games are also hearkening back to the very early days of the seventies, pre even AD and D and kind of capturing that kind of vibe where it's not the complex mechanics and then, and even use like like reaction roles, those types of things to determine what's going on rather than yeah. predetermining, where that kind of gets put into mechanics in a, in a much more direct way, where it seems like with D&D, a lot of those earlier mechanics that were very <laughs> great were lost for some reason. Yeah, I, I'm going to put a... I'm going to put a yuck on AD&D here real quick. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and this is just something that pops into my head. So I give a lot of, I, I have said like, okay, the third edition, it wasn't third edition where this even became a problem. Like I, when I got the AD&D players and skills books and stuff that came out later on in the second edition towards the end of the 90s, got real excited. Like, look, we can split stats in half and we can add this. Oh my goodness. It just made the game a bear. Yeah. I was like, yeah, we don't use those books. I got excited, made one or two characters out of it. Played once. was like, yeah, let's, let's, let's put these <laughs> books away. We're going to put those books back on the shelf. Let's do this from scratch. Go back to the main books and yeah. let's not go there again. So it's been there. And I, I, a little hypocritical. I love complex games too. Like it just depends on what I'm doing and how well I know it. If I'm going to have to sit here and every time a new book comes out, I got to learn a whole new rule set. I'm not, no, but like I play, I run a rifts campaign right now. And that's a palladium system on that. A lot of people say that's oh, way too difficult to deal with. Albeit character creation can take you a couple sessions. <laughs> um, I'm I, we also house rule it a lot to kind of streamline and simplify a few things. So, well, I think what, what you're dealing with there is you already know the rules. Yeah, I've not played the Palladium system for, right? Yeah. So there's decades. no the cognitive load of of learning yes. a new complex system is it's <laughs> is not there because you've already you've already done it you're familiar and I'm assuming the people who there's at least some other people that are playing that are also familiar with that system. We have at least one, <laughs> I think maybe two, but yeah. a lot of them, some of them are newer gamers. A lot of the ones that are playing. But if you have, uh, like, I think a person or two playing that knows the complex rules, they can help the other players out. That's the key, I, I think. I've adjusted it to kind of scale back on the some of the complexities. Uh, I've tried to make it less complex as the way I run it. And I've kind of, I, mostly when I start a new new game, I'm going to write up a little a little player's handbook of source to pass out when the people come. I usually give them a folder with character sheets, and then there's going to be a player's handout that explains most of the rules and expectations. There's kind of a, a little write-up at the top that will say, like, there are certain social expectations as well, and I pass all those out when I start the game. So with, with this game, I had a, a custom character sheet that I had made in Word because I added and changed things to kind of simplify the complexity of the system. So there is that. <laughs> so is there any temptation to go to Rifts, uh, Savage Worlds Edition? No. And I, the biggest reason, like I have, so I have the Savage Worlds Edition box, the first one that came out, and I have the Savage Worlds book. I just, I'm, I haven't sat down to learn the system. I don't feel like it. 
I'm very content with all the stuff because I have shelves of old palladium from over the years. And I'm very content with all that. And I, uh, this game's running well. If it were too complex and the game group suffered because of the complexity, then I'd probably consider something else. I'd probably just play another game, uh, perhaps of my short list of things I'm trying to get to right now. Right. So, so what is that short list? Okay. So the short list is definitely Coriolis is on there. And that's a year zero game. If you're not sure if you're familiar with it, and I recently reviewed it, it's a science fiction game. I've had it for a bit now, and I've been reading through this book. I'm pouring over it, and it's got my imagination running wild. Osric or AD&D, I want to do a, just a basic Osric or AD&D campaign. And there's this, I'd like to so go back into the lost Osric, are you, for campaign, do you, do you, like, is it a homebrew world or you plan on going actually through a published setting? <laughs> I think if I'm, don't have a hundred percent answer to that. The things I want to run in there are going to be the halls of Ardenval. That's a really, really cool uh, mega dungeon. I read through those and I'm fascinated. They get my juices flowing. And the reason I want to do that with Osric is because they do stuff in the halls of Ardenval that works so well with those AD&D rule sets and kind of like brings out why some of these antiquated rules were put to paper and you see, oh yeah, that's going to work well. That's cool. So there's that. And then the other one is I would like to run a Swords and Wizardry Lost Lands campaign. I've run a Lost Lands campaign before. We used Castles and Crusades, went through a Pontotook and, and kind of a lot of the other Lost Lands stuff for a couple of years. But I would like to do a Swords and Wizardry campaign and go back to the Lost Lands because I really enjoy reading through the world and the setting that they have there. Well, I think it definitely takes the right group of players. And I've, I mentioned on my podcast, many times i think most of our games generally last about eight sessions and we move on to a different system oh. uh, <laughs> it's, it's like <laughs> we've definitely been able to keep for the most part so like uh, a lot of our campaigns go on about a year or two it seems oh, the yeah. astonishing swordsman and sorcerers of hyperborea is probably coming up on this fall will be two years and we seem to be going strong uh, so that's been a that's been a fun game uh, my Castles and Crusades Lost Land campaign kind of started to puddle out, putter out when we went online. So we ended up saying, okay, there's not as many people coming. We started trying new things every week, kind of an experimental night. And then we we had a player who joined who really wanted to run OSE. I said, well, we got Wednesday nights. We've been trying stuff out. So he's been running that since sometime earlier this year. So we've been running old school essentials on the alternating Wednesdays. So. It worked out well. Then I've been running Saturday nights. So what I've been meaning to ask you, because you've you've ran um I think a number of months of of the Forbidden Lands, right? Oh, it's a great game. Yeah, I love it. So if you would, because I is the I think one one of the big parts of it is the exploration, which is I don't want to say it's baked in, but it's it's kind of baked in as far as yeah. as a major component. It's both kind it's of very hex crawl. Yeah. So it's kind of fleshed out, but it's also still left kind of open. So if you could just like uh, kind of explain how the, uh, that hex crawling works, how things are determined. And at least as far as the way things are, I guess, expected, when I say expected, but you know, the, the, the intention of the, of the writers for it to be used. So I, I'm going to say, I can tell you what I, what my impression is of the way they wrote it for a, for a, 
adventure to run is, is some of the best I've ever read and easiest for me to work with if you're doing sandbox type stuff. The way to run it and the way I ran it was we just kind of went from hex to hex. We spent a lot of time in a, like we didn't go from hex to hex every week. We spent a lot of time in places when we get there. And we'd spend a lot of time on one little segment and one little location. And the way that we were able to do that is the way these adventures are written. You get a basic, really good layout of the different areas in town, basic um, relationship ideas of how the people interact and what they might want done or what they might need or what kind of conflicts could arise. And it's really easy to just start weaving a story on the fly if you understand. And that's how I like to try to prepare my games. I know what the characters are who are there. I know how these characters will interact. And I know what the different things are. And it's not too much to read through. You can read through in about 30 minutes and really get a good idea. I'll, and I'll reread it again before a game. I'll, I'll go over it a few times and make sure I know the things in there. It's a quick prepare. It's some of the quickest prep time I've ever had for a role-playing game, reading through those sections in Forbidden Lands and knowing, okay, these are different things I can do with them. Let's see where this goes. I'll throw out these breadcrumbs, rumors, or whatever we've been given and see where the players go, and I just go from there. And the way that those adventures are all written, you could run them for just about any system the way they're written. They give you a lot to work with in those little sections. I love the way the adventures are written out, and there's a ton of them in each book. Yeah, and I noticed they, they've got different, I guess, themes. I mean, there's, a, I think, a, a winter one and 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 so forth. Um, yes. And I, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not necessarily a high fantasy person. And so that, you know, this the default setting doesn't quite sit with me, but I, but it's definitely something you can really use for any setting as far as the rules go. What was fun was we didn't have any humans in our group. So it was the closest I think we've ever had to playing a reverse dungeon. We yeah. had goblins <laughs> and we had wolfmen and orcs. And it was like, well, these are these people aren't going to fit in any town they walk into, are they? No, yeah. they're the monsters. So we had fun with that. It was a, it was a different it, it was very different than than the one I had normally run because of that. And everybody just gravitated towards those out there races and we had fun with it. It was good. It was a fun game. I'm going to probably try to revisit it again in the future, hopefully with a lot of the characters that were playing there. So what would you do differently? I don't think I'd do anything differently, uh, except I would, I would just continue to explore where all these different, different uh, threads and locations lead. Cause it weaves a larger story as you go through it and it starts to fall into place real well. At least that was my experience. Yeah, because so. I was playing, uh, I did a Blades in the Dark hack where I just used a different system. And, um, but it was all episodic. They were kind of missions. And, and generally, whatever would happen would slightly, we'll say, change the world because you weren't doing a large campaign. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, relationships would change between the, the NPCs. And then just their very actions would drive like the next steps a lot of times. Yeah. yeah. And most of the, I don't do very episodic with my campaigns. I will with like one shots and short things. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I want to do this in one night. <clears throat> most of the time I'm trying to follow like laying out a sandbox. So I, I don't know what I'm going to do next week. 
from week to week until the end of that game. And then I'm like, okay, this has happened. This has happened. Now let's see where we go from here. And I'm responding to what the characters have done and laid out. And Forbidden Lands worked well for that style of DMing. And I didn't always play like that or DM like that. That's something I've come to do in more recent years. When especially playing a superhero game, it was very story structure driven back in the day when we were playing. Right. And we read a lot of comic books and we had all these crazy ideas. This villain has got this plan and this week we're going to have the villain of the week. We had to come up with a new baddie and a whole new story every week. But I found that we've had some larger overweaving stories that you can create with the characters when you're kind of like letting them take charge, which is a completely different style and approach to play, which I've really been getting into in more recent years. Yeah, I think for us, the episodic works better because uh, we have a lot of variation who shows up from week to week. Yeah. So if you can have something happen, like like a Star Trek, I mean, you know, you know, maybe the procedure is you do this, you land on the planet, you have your adventure, then you beam up and you, you do your star log update, you know, no, and you just that a <laughs> prime directive yeah. one when that came out in the nineties, we used to do, I've played plenty of games yeah. just like that. Yeah. So anyway, if blades in the dark, I don't know if have you seen blades in the dark or read through I it? have, I've not picked it up. It's one of those ones that I keep on looking at when I got, I'm, I'm at the game store or I'm, I'm looking on the internet at games like, ooh, I want to buy some. I want to spend my money. And I keep on looking at going, oh, I need that. I oh, need you to do. pick it up, but I haven't. You I do. haven't yet. Even if you don't use the game itself. But the idea is there's kind of like three parts to it. There's the pre-adventure where, you know, the characters can do some things. And then you have your mission. And then you just, then what you do is you say how you're going to approach the mission. No, no detailed plan. Okay, we're going to do this sort of thing. Second part is the mission itself. You roll the dice, they roll the dice to determine how far they get in the plan before something happens. So they succeed very well. They get pretty far into it. That's when you cut into the action. If they fail, they don't get very far, you know? So if you're saying, you know what, we're going to break somebody out of prison, you roll the Mm -hmm. dice and all they do is how far they get before you, you cut into the action. I, I am. Yeah, I'm going to have to pick this up and read this. I'm very curious because this sounds like even if I'm not running that, that sounds like some good ideas and mechanics oh, yes. and stuff that you can use in any game. And yeah. I do that a lot. I'm a big fan of hacking stuff out of games and putting them into other games. I've been doing that my whole life. <laughs> but then once the adventure's done, there is uh, there's a stuff that happens afterwards, which is its own procedure. There's activities that players can choose to do. I mean, and they have importance. So that's also an important part of the game is what happens after the adventure. So what are you going to do with your time? Are you going to try to alleviate? Because one of the things is you build up stress. Well, the way you relieve stress is through vices. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And the vices can also be, they can be also positive things, but taken to excess can create complications. That's good. Yeah, so you're, like you're balancing idea. all this stuff and you're trying to, you're building up heat. So each character has like, like so many actions mm-hmm. and they choose what action. Are they going to try and build something towards a goal? Are they going to try and get an object or an item on the side? Are they going to do some research? Are they going to try and relieve stress? Are they going to try and reduce heat? Because um, you're also well, building up heat too. 
Yeah, and that, so I like that idea because, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to run the Halls of Arden Bowl is because that reminds me of an old a, the old AD&D stuff where you have to spend the gold and get training in order to level up. So that gives you a goal that you have to go interact with outside of the fighting. And that gives you a lot of seed and work stuff to role play with and interact with in other ways that are unique and different. Right. And you can really build right off that. I like mechanics that make you do things that aren't necessarily um, combat or ex explore and stuff like that, that make you kind of go out there and give you a goal that your character is going to do that may be more mundane, but we're going to interact here and have these social interactions and whatever interactions. So I like stuff like that. That's pretty cool. I like that stress idea. Yeah. And the thing is, what's nice about it is it's more than just buying equipment at the end. Yeah. But like Coriolis does a similar thing, but they do it in the beginning. So yeah. you, so you can choose beforehand, are you going to uh, pray to the icons <laughs> or are you going to spend XP or are you going to do, I think there's like, uh, there's a couple other things. So they do is they, they put an activity before the adventure that people can choose. And, you know, and if you've got, if you got XP, you're gonna have to make a choice. Are you spending XP? or are you going to pray to the icons to give you bonuses when you, you know, in the game? Yeah. And one of the things I like about all the free league games like Coriolis and, and Forbidden Lands, Mutant Year Zero, all the, a lot of those is that even in the character creation, they're kind of like Ed, like pushing you to come up with motivations and drives to interact in other ways and other things as part of the character creation system to kind of extend that. And there's a, a mechanic, a benefit reward when you interact involving in these desire in these goals and stuff that you have, or these dark paths and stuff. So I think that's cool that building in things to push you to role play into the mechanics is neat. Yeah, I agree. And also I think, uh, and I'm not done with it because we're, we're just started Coriolis uh, just last week. Oh, I need. Oh, that's amazing! I want to play that so bad. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, it's definitely. Um, the problem is the books are not. The, the books are beautiful. <laughs> yes, they are. But try to find anything in them. Good luck. Yeah, I. I'm a big fan of trying to trying to put the book aside and just okay. This is my role. We're just going to roll with it as yeah. much as I can. Yeah, and that's what we did. Like, for instance, you play the icons, and, and the icons give you a bonus uh, if you do that to, for re-rolls. But the particular icon you choose only gives you uh, that bonus to, like, three specific skills to that icon. Yeah. So which, okay. But choose that, which icon? You well, but I don't know. Where's that, where's that page at? <laughs> oh, no. You know what I'm saying? It's probably not even, it's probably a sidebar. Yeah, there's page. a lot of that stuff that's sidebarred. So what they should do, and this is why I think is wrong on for most role-playing games, is they should have a PDF where it's just the procedure. What is your procedure? And what do the characters need to do? Just strip it all down. Oh, that's a, uh, that I just picked up, it's actually sitting here beside me on the desk. The Old School Essentials Advanced Fantasy Reference Book, I feel, is exactly that for OSE. And it's beautiful. It's got all just charts, rules, and everything laid out in there. Yeah, you're right. I would love to have that for something. Now, I did pick up a 
PDF online for Coriolis that's similar to that. It's just kind of like a basic stripped down rule thing. I'll try to see if I can find it's kind of I kind of printed it out in just like a little zine format that someone has put out. So there, I know there's something like similar to that floating around for Coriolis with stripped down rules, but I don't think it's got that in-depth, like the specific icons. Yeah, and and I, I don't think it even has to be. I don't think it even has to be like overly, you know, like like all comprehensive, but but that is part of the so there is a procedure that, that should precede the adventure, but that's not specifically laid out. It's probably in a campaign section. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where they just say, okay, start of the game, you need to do this. <laughs> probably. I don't know where to find I haven't I I've been reading through it, but like I said, I haven't run it. So some of those nuances I haven't encountered yet in in the Coriolis book. I'm more familiar with Vaccine and Forbidden Lands because those are the two I have run recently. They run very similar from my experience. Uh, there are a few things. The icons is one of the things I've questioned how that would turn out in game. What do you mean? Uh, the other thing. Well, I'm just I'm just curious how running the icons uh, as a mechanic and everything, how that's going to end up turning out, how that'll impact. The, like what you're talking about now, how that's going to impact the actual gameplay, what I'm going to have to look up, what I'm going to be able to run with. The other thing is the space combat. Haven't exactly gotten my head wrapped around that reading through that section yet. I I got the different steps and stuff like that, but I have not. I have not wrapped my head around those rules. Well, <laughs> so I've ran traveler funky. games. I've ran multiple science fiction games. I almost never do space combat, mainly because yeah. I figure. So if you're going to engage, if somebody's going to engage, the characters in combat they're probably going to have an advantage, right? Because yeah. you're not going to just go willy-nilly, just sh- 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 like we play D&D. Orcs aren't just going to attack you till they're dead <laughs> for no good reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're driving, you're around on a $2 million ship. You're not just going to be, uh, you know. And also, it's like losing in space. We did do a, a, a space combat in a travel game I ran a, a few years ago. It does not generally end well, like probably real fights. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, there's 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 going to be losses as you're trading you know missiles and 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 such lasers you're not going to come out unscathed so it's like you know what's that going to do to the game as well <laughs> it's just your character's ship you spend all this time building it and doing it and all of a sudden it's like okay you, you, i've never i've never dm'd or gm space combat i've only ever played in a, a very hand small hand field full amount of games that did do space combat even though i played a lot of like alternity and we played starfinder when that first came out someone ran uh ran that for a few months and we played that we did do space combat in that like we've done i've done a lot of sci-fi but I, I've never ran space combat and I've ne- I've only been involved in it a few times. So, yeah, I think to me, it's kind of akin to, you know, doing ship uh, naval combat in the middle of an ocean with D and D. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, the pirates have now captured you. Now you're enslaved or they sunk <laughs> your ship. I guess you're now on a deserted Island. Or I like the battle right. system with mass combat <laughs> type stuff. I tend to not really run. I've ran a few mass combat uh, things here and there. The, the My favorite mass combat I've done, though, is the Castles and Crusades book they have for mass combat. That was pretty simple, easy to run. If but, you if you do, when you do run Coriolis, there is a uh, online shipbuilder. 
and it, I really recommend using that. I have to check that. Out. I don't think I've seen that yet. And it's funny watching the character because because the uh, the conceit is every group has a ship. That is just that is the conceit. Yeah. And uh, but you can choose what size ship you want, and then each size ship can have so many modules, and then there's also extras you can add on that are independent of those modules. But those things you add on add a percentage to the cost. The modules add set amount to the cost. It's I like, like that. I like that away. cost. They're clicking away. They're clicking away. They're all excited. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, you guys come up. You got 20,000 burr a month you guys are going to have to now deal with for, for your mortgage, for your, uh, for your uh, living expenses, and for your docking fees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like the cost element to the game. That's really cool. Like you in debt yeah. uh, when you start off with a ship, and that that that's one of the th reasons I'm interested in doing this. Having somebody that you're in debt to, you think back to Star Wars with Jabba oh, yeah. the Hutt and stuff like that. That that having that big horrible debt over your head. How much fun you could you could make with that? Who is it that they're in debt to? This could be the big some kind of big thorn in their side and <laughs> stuff like that. Like hmm. I like that. <laughs> Get a nice, big, awesome ship, guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, you couldn't make the payment? <laughs> Here comes Mr. Monopoly Man to get you. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I was thinking, because you're supposed to have a person that's supposed to be your, I guess, uh, your ally and a person that's supposed to be your, your I guess, antagonist and and, uh, and also you're like an ally. I thought, well, would it be cool if maybe the person that you're the antagonist is the bank? Maybe they want you to fail. <laughs> yep. And they yeah, want would, that ship back. They really want that ship back. That. <laughs> yeah, they realize, you know what? You made a good amount of this ship. Let's see if you can do it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, anyway, I, I don't know. But the, there's definitely some fun elements watching characters pile on debt. <laughs> and uh, it is. Yeah, I it, like that. It reminds me of playing a game of Monopoly almost in that sense. It's like, hmm. Oh yeah, it is. And and then that's another thing they do right, but it, it, it definitely need to be on I think the tools you need to use online uh, to make it work otherwise. But no, it's a it, there's a lot of stuff going for it. the icons it's mainly there's not a lot of complication. It's just that basically every time they they pray to an icon you get darkness points. And that's so it seems like it's it's working similar to how pushing a role with willpower is in Forbidden Lands. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but the thing is that when you're when you're uh, when you make a role and you haven't quite made it, you can choose to push that role, which means if something comes up a fail, like a one, you're going to take a little bit of damage, but you're going to get willpower points right. that you can use further on down the road. So it seems like the mechanic for icons is the same mechanic for willpower and pushing a role in Forbidden Yeah, but lands. what's nice about it, which I, so I really like the way the Forbidden Lands does it, which I think fits very well with, it's basically exhaustion rules is what they're doing. Uh, yes. But what, what I like about, but the, the, the problem, I don't say the problem, the, the, but what happens is the effects immediate, right? So if you're playing forbidden land, you're like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to push it. And you're saying, you know what, I know I'm, I'm no, I'm in a bad spot, but I need to make this, I need to make this roll. And then the effects happen immediately. And you may say, well, it's a little too dangerous. I don't think I want to do this now. We're in Coriolis. This is all in the future. This is all 
willy-nimbly, mambly-pambly stuff that, you know, you don't see the direct results. So I think it probably rewards, when I say rewards, but it hides the cost from the players, and but they're willingly pushing that button. They're willingly driving up that darkness point debt. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's what's kind of nice about it, but but it's it's diff- definitely different. And the darkness points for anybody who hasn't read through it, the dungeon ma- or the game master uses darkness points to bring in nasties and horrible type of things and make different things correct throughout the game. Yeah, you're basically adding complications. So yeah. you do things like you know gun jams or you know, the, the ammo being spent, uh, sometimes scenarios you can spend, they set it up. So you spend points for certain uh, powers or abilities of certain creatures or, or whatever. So you don't want to give the dungeon master, the darkness points in this. No, it's basically, <laughs> you think about it as karma. You think that, you know, the icons going to come back to bite me in the ass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it depends how you want to view it, but you know, the, you think of the icons being benevolent, but, Kind of in the book, they kind of also talk about there being another side to them too, as well. So there's a cost to seeking their help. Yeah, I'm really I like that. I, I need to run a Coriolis game so bad when I talk about this. Yeah. My juices are flowing <laughs> yeah. here. So you see, these good guys are really not the greatest deal. Oh, I like that. I can go with that in the game. I can have a lot of fun there. Yeah, and I think, you know, you listen to your podcast, you did a review, or a a review, but you talked about kind of, you know, kind of like the system and being kind of like the the, um, The little guy against the machine. It's kind of almost, you didn't say punk, but there's the old style punk where it's like, you're probably not going to make a difference in this world. You're kind of, corporations are pressing you or whatever, but you're living, you're trying to eke uh, an existence out of this the situation is not ideal and uh and maybe you know maybe you can make some money off the man or bring down some people whatever along the way for fun because it's it's like with blades in the dark so blades in the dark the premise is there are multiple factions multiple factions but and none of them are there's no really good people so oh, you, I like that. <laughs> yeah, there's nobody good. Your criminals mess with other criminals. So there's really not a whole lot of loss of conscience. I mean, not necessarily every group is like maniacal evil, but there's no really good people. And the same thing with Coriolis. It's like, you know, all these factions, you know, they're not really great people. Yeah, I like that stuff. I like, yeah, there's definitely... Uh, I, I'm never one that's been like thrilled about the concept of like, the pure good, especially in games, like, yeah, there's going to be something a little messed up about this. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, and maybe you play it where you think you're serving the good, and all of a sudden at the end, you're like, hmm. <laughs> I mean, when I DM, your players are probably not going to like the lawful good whatever because they're probably, I kind of take a the lawful good is a bad approach when I play, like, hmm. Lawful good, we obey the law completely. Well, what about this? And I kind of go, I have fun with that. So yeah, I don't, I never really stay into that uh, good bad concept to begin with in game. It's not. I don't think it's realistic in reality. So I'm oh, not going to go into that. I mean, law right. philosophy, but I'm gonna. Yeah, I, I, there's there's gray and there's things at the edges. <laughs> well, and I think the thing is, is it's too easy to just to make caricatures of, of the good and the bad. 
Yeah, well, I, I, I have my character of the lawful good paladin that I often pull out in the game. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it is very mocking. But here I am to save the day. Yeah. I am going. <laughs> we go, I go to town with it at games. Sometimes it gets over the top whenever he comes in. <laughs> yes, that's funny. Yeah, so I think, you know, and that Coriolis, it, you know, another thing it kind of reminds me of is, is India with the, uh, with the British. Uh, yeah. The Indian Trading Company with the, Zenith, uh, the Zenith, Zenithians. Zenithians or something? Yeah. I don't have a book I, here. The, I'd have to. The ship was the Zenith. So that's how yeah, I Yeah. Now, the Zenith was the one that came, that left early, but came late. Yeah, it's a generational right. ship. It didn't go through the portals. They went through by generational ship. Yeah. And then Coriolis itself was, was that, this, was that originally the, the Zenith or was that a different yes, ship? Yes. No. Okay. Zenith, yeah. And so. So Coriolis is a spaceship or a space City made out of an old spaceship. Yes, it it is. Yeah, they repurposed this generational ship into being a, a massive. Uh, it's like New York, a floating New York. Yeah, well, but it's also got all the bazaars. Why well, say bazaars? <laughs> Not the bazaars, but the bazaars. Uh, you know, all the the flavor that goes with you know trading and people and and not the uh, the wackadoodles. Yeah, the cities and you can almost do like I, I like the idea of doing these uh, this this vision in my mind of doing like almost a dungeon crawl in a cathedral in space with all this is like I could have fun with this. <laughs> yeah, the only thing is 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 I don't know. There's any. I remember you talking about that. So I will make that happen. So, <laughs> no, yeah, this is why I would. This is my request. So you know, alien structures, floating alien structures, exploring them. I don't know of any single product that's ever done that or and if it's done it in a way that's like, like that makes sense. Um, in what <clears throat> way have you seen, when you say, when you say <clears throat> that the first thing I go to is a starship warden in my head where you got that big generate that massive ship so, floating in space. Yeah. That was more recent. <clears throat> But I mean, like alien technology floating in space. Okay, not like uh, like a a gamma worldish, you know. Uh, yeah, weirdness. But I mean, like okay, or even on a planet, where there's an alien structure. You know, how that, players the structure interact itself with. is totally alien from anything we're used to. Yeah, that you play through. So, like, they kind of provide some tools with the Numenera, the Jade Colossal, but it had tables, but. It's just nonsense. It just does. There's nothing cohesive <laughs> about. You know what I mean? It's like you, you can roll these things, but it's like this means nothing. I, I I spend a lot of time rolling these things up, and it's like there's nothing that makes sense about this. You just I just generated something that is. There's no. It needs to be something that's cohesive and interesting in a way that engages players. You know, but it doesn't seem to be that for science fiction. Yeah. Hmm. Perhaps that's a niche that needs to be filled. It does. Is anybody out there going to write that? Well, book I think you are for your next for your zine. I think that's going to be your project. It's going to be the monolith from uh, uh, Phobos. The monolith from Phobos. I'm yeah. on it. Let me write that down. Yeah, I think it's a monolith of Phobos. Is a song by um, oh, I forgot their names. It's uh, Lennon. Um, I'll think about it a little bit. Oh, the the super group. What are you talking about? It's. Um, so Sean Lennon, John Lennon's son, yeah, does a duo with this other guy, and they do the uh, the 
the something Lennon, um, ah, I forget the name of the experience. And it, one of the songs that I think is the monolith of Phobos. They, they, I, don't, they, I don't recall that. I'm a big music geek and that doesn't ring a bell. I wonder. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can pull up the, the cuts while we're talking. But, uh, anyway, yeah, if you could do, uh, <laughs> if you could do that. The monolith of Phobos. Well, yeah. Or whatever it may be is that you, you, you go into the structure and it's fun and it's, it, it's got things going on. People to interact with. I mean, cause if you think about it, they kind of do some neat stuff with, in fantasy, I mean, you've got all sorts of stuff. Maybe not always done the best, but uh, yeah, you know. But that's that's kind of the thing. But for space, I don't know of any sort of exploration game, any exploration that's planet exploration or even planetary exploration. There's not really any product out there. It's like okay, let's let's do exploration in a way that's fun. Well, I like that they do have that planetary guide for Coriolis that I'm really interested in digging into when people start exploring because it does give you all these like tables for constructing yeah. a different type of thing. But that's and I like can travel, work with that though. to do some stuff. Well, they're hacking travelers all they're doing. I mean, yeah, not to not to diss it because you know they're using D sixty six, which is fun. But <laughs> I got the old uh, I say I got the Traveler seventy seven box up there, and I got Traveler five, the big box set, and I have. Unfortunately, like Coriolis, I've been wanting to play Traveler forever. I've never actually played the damn game. I got them up there, read through them, make some characters. Nobody's ran a campaign yet with me. Yeah, the uh, or vice versa. It, okay, it's the Claypool uh, Lennon Delirium. Okay, okay, I see. I I found it on the internet. Claypool Lennon Delirium, the Monolith of Phobos. Yes, let's check those out. Well, the the other album's really good too. It's they're both they're really good. In fact, if you go, I think there's forget the name. So Lennon ends up he ends up going with there's some gal he ends up uh, teaming up with, and they do some about the some of the saber tooth tiger. I can't remember, but they got some really good tunes too. If you like the the wacko. Um, <laughs> the, the, the psych rock or psychedelic rock it's, i do uh, like psychedelic rock i do i, I do de- when i was younger i did not get into it as much i was like like with the beatles I was like oh i like old beatles it's more rock and roll <laughs> and then when i was older i just kind of got into the psychedelic uh side of the beatles and uh yeah i appreciate psychedelic rock what do you say <laughs> yeah and i i find it you know there's i it oh it's uh the ghost of the saber-toothed tiger is the the other Lennon uh, group? That's the I, I name of the all. group. Is the ghost of the saber tooth trigger? That's his son. Is that is that Sean? Lennon? It is. It is. It is. I think he did something with that Lana Del Rey recently. Uh, in the last couple years, that was he sounded just like his father, and it blew my mind. Yes, and saber tooth is two words. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. A, I, yeah, I've heard very little of his stuff. I'll have it, to check it out. It was all happenstantial uh, for me, but anyway, the uh, but anyway that that stuff's really good too. But anyway, um, but yeah, the Traveler. I mean, they're just really Coriolis is Traveler with a different system with yeah. just a little bit of of, of a, a unique flavor setting. Yes, but I I don't know how it's going to work out, but I think the uh, what's wrong for the uh, critical table? I think is where the the action is going to be. I love that. I love that critical table. I love the way they handle damage. It's very different and unique. Yeah, I I've enjoyed it. And like, yeah, I, I the the one that I used in uh, Vaseline and 
Forbidden Lands are the critical tables I was used to rolling on, and, and I like those. The way that they approach and handle damage that way is just cool. And I like the idea that you can take damage and instead of just, okay, I got my numbers up each time. Like, well, yeah, you kind of hurt your leg the other day. You're going to be limping on it for a while. <laughs> yes. so things You may be up to full health, but you're not running as good till you heal. Right. I like that. It's a cool way to approach damage. It's neat. Well, I think the other thing I like about, and I told the players, is there is always an opportunity when you're in a fight for your character to get taken out, to be killed with one shot. Yeah. <laughs> you can automatically. It's not the, the opportunity is not the most likely, but you could, you could die. Yes. 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 <laughs> or at least be wounded. And it's. Your aorta has been, been severed. Okay. You're bleeding out. You've got so many, you know, but that's could just be one shot. So you may be in big armor, but that's still that person with that dagger, or that arrow or that small pistol. There's always that opportunity. I don't think we had, when we played Forbidden Lands, I don't think we had anybody roll. I know we didn't have anybody die. So nobody actually rolled like an automatic death or anything like that in the campaign we were running it. It never happened. Now, I know how I roll. And I, <laughs> when I play it, it's my ones are a running gag when it yeah. comes to play. It's like, oh, <laughs> guess what I got? Another one. It's like, and I know I'd be rolling that double sixes. Be like, oh boy, I'm dead. <laughs> a minute I got someone comes at me with a dagger. Oh, roll. Yeah. Double six. Oh, I died. That <laughs> killed me with a dagger. Well, I think, you know, that's, there's a certain amount. I don't think their armor is ultimately realistic, but, but the damage is kind of realistic in that, you know, it's just dangerous. Weapons are dangerous. Yeah. I, I appreciate that in the game. I really do. I, I, uh, I, I think I had a spiel about death in my uh, in my podcast where we talked about that, and I like a deadly game. I don't like to kill my characters, player characters off, but when there's a potential for death out there, when you go up against this thing and it can destroy you, you might think twice. And I don't. And 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 what happens in response to that? I hope and what I've seen is that I'm not just rolling a twenty sided die back and forth. We're trying something new, creative, and fun. We're like, okay, can I do this instead of fighting him to avoid the combat? You know, we're sneaking around right. and coming up with all kinds of crafty, creative stuff. I prefer running a diceless game <laughs> sometimes because I get a little bored back and forth. Sometimes it's fun when I roll that 20 or whatever, but combat rounds can get long and tedious depending on what you're playing. And it's a lot more fun to do a quick check and sneak and, okay, let's see if you make it. And that role can be a lot more fulfilling for me. Yeah, I think what it does, I mean, it's it's the later D&D games, I, to a certain degree, even the, the earlier ones, but they tend to they tend to make characters more hardy and more, we'll yeah. just say heroic in a way. But, yeah. but the Super downside heroic. is it's like all of a sudden you advance to a point where an ogre's no big deal and a giant's no big deal. And to me... An ogre swinging an axe should always scare a person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, if, if the answer to every single thing that we run into is to fight it and kill it, that gets boring to me. I'll think about movies that I enjoy like this. Like, was 
Bilbo Baggins trying to kill the dragon when he ran to the dragon? No, he was sneaking around in right. there, hiding with his ring, like fun stuff, interesting things. It kept you on the edge of your seat. Right, and I, I believe the battle that he had was was more on a wits battle than a, in a than definitely a physical battle. Yeah, it's more interesting things. I love those when you interact with the monsters and try other things to get over on them. And yeah, there's a lot more fun things you can do than just pull out a weapon and fight. And at a point, if you can kill everything that you run into, or ooh, and that's the answer, it's not going to kill you. Then you're just going to, oh, okay, there's the obstacle, it's gone. In real life, we don't do that. Like, if so, I mean... I have a lot less bosses and a lot less. Right. You know, I was like, I'm just hacked them down. Like, no, that's not how you resolve the situation. No, and I think in general, people, you know, in real life, uh, people uh, avoid fights unless they have an absolute clear advantage. Yeah. You know, and then if you if you start taking losses, you leave. <laughs> It's yeah, like, you're not gonna let half your squad get murdered before you yeah, decide. You're not you know, gonna stand there until you're dead. <laughs> That's not how a fight works. Like, you don't just fight to the death. <laughs> well, there are situations where you do fight to the death, but yeah. I'm not getting into that. Right. Uh, but most of the time, you're not fighting to the death. Right, um, and, and I think even you know, if you even look at medieval uh, times and later, it's like there was probably also a certain amount of gentlemanly things that would go on like we fight till so many people get hurt and we okay we're done we surrender and there was that there's a that rule set that was in uh forbidden lands itself that i really liked was the coup de gras rules and that is you have to make an empathy check and if you try to kill that person there just the coup de gras they're helping you may you make that empathy check you have to just roll a one and absolutely fail it in order to accomplish that and then you're kind of taking empathy damage and you know yeah. like murdering is a big deal that's how it is and you can have the fights but just killing to get through things yeah <laughs> yeah and they they do that with i think with coriolis is that just what you can just also they didn't really put that in there but i think those could be just be darkness points that you you say okay yeah you're 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 going down a dark path, and that dark path just brings the attention of just bad mojo. Yeah, look, I, I don't. Yeah, I want to look. I, I wonder if Coriolis doesn't have a coup de gras. They don't, but they, I think that the darkness point. So you can you can use that. And also, yeah. it's interesting is uh, if you ever played Delta Green, it's I a have not situation. played that yet. So you're going to take if you if you take out a person that's not seen as a threat. You you make a roll, or you will take loss to your to your uh, sanity. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like that. I like those kinds of things. Like, yeah, just well. For instance, I had a character who um, we were on a mission. the The other character um, got corrupted by by number sequence, and they were they were. They were still acting normal, but they were corrupted. So I called in the, the I called in the our manager, like, what do I do? They said, Well, you you have to remove that person. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Distract him, shoot with a 45, roll it. I felt bad about it, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, but that what that game does is forces you a lot of times into just very uncomfortable situations 
where you sometimes have to do terrible things, but your characters suffer for it and you don't feel heroic about it. You know what I mean? Which is kind yeah. of interesting rather than just, oh, we'll just, we'll torture a person. Well, you want to torture a person, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to suffer some of your humanity for this. You know, that's, you know, probably the right thing to do is, uh, is allow, it allows the characters still to, they have the option of doing what they want to do, but there are consequences for that. Yeah, that's I like those kinds. I like it when they put mechanics like that into the game where you realize you're going to suffer something from doing this. And, and like I said before, even like like mechanics that work into role play where the the game the interactions themselves impact the mechanic and vice versa. The mechanic interacts what you choose to do interactive wise. So I like that kind of thing. Yeah. So. Instead of just the mechanic being focused on roll and strike, you know. Right. Exactly. I agree. Well, uh, I think we're hitting the time space continuum. Looks like we've been, uh, been going at it for a little while. <laughs> <So> <laughs> this is not, this is not going to be a, a 10 minute podcast. Oh, wow. <laughs> Nine to 10, 10 to 11. It's 11 15. I didn't realize. That. <laughs> yeah. It happens sometimes. <laughs> I can talk about role-playing games for a while. That's yeah. what like, I get into it. I really enjoy it. I'm going to sit there. Like, I I read role-playing game books for leisure. <laughs> well, I will say that, you know, it generally, I mean, I find that, you know, people are interesting and we talk about things that we like and uh, it's easy to uh, to be passionate about it and to go on oh, about yeah. it. No doubt. No doubt. Trying to keep it down to 10 minutes is like, okay, we got to <laughs> <laughs> exactly so anyway we may go a little long but that's okay because this is rpg ramblings and i think we we did our fair share of rambling i definitely ramble i can't yeah. <laughs> i'm just an enabler i guess <laughs> or maybe you're the enabler i don't know perhaps well uh thanks for joining me i appreciate uh and and uh, we'll have to have oh, you back on again lugar yeah thanks for thanks for having me on if you all get a chance check out wobblies and wizards we're uh, on the blog and on the podcast oh yes wobblies and wizards um it what's funny is when i first heard i saw the wobblies my first thought is you're british <laughs> because i heard there's a quote from margaret thatcher to george bush during the Iraq war and she, the quote I believe was, uh, don't go wobbly on me, George. <laughs> <laughs> no, a lot of us, a lot of the people in the group, we were in the IWW and the nickname for the people in the union were wobblies. And we had, I had named my Wi-Fi wobblies and wizards and we were talking about naming the group we had all these ideas and then someone said why not name it after the wi-fi yes and, and then eventually it became the name of the site a couple of years later <laughs> well isn't that the way all it works in these tv shows or movies everybody's brainstorming nobody's knows. then all of a sudden somebody just stands up and uh it's like this is the name this is the name they'll carry the next thing you have a multimedia <laughs> empire <laughs> I will. <laughs> Let's put food on the table now. Yeah, you got the you, you got the first step. You've got the uh, you got the uh, the podcasting. Next steps is zine. So I think there we go. And the yeah, third we've... step will be I think there'll be uh, movies, and you'll be doing. Uh, little... <laughs> I don't think they're going to movies. <laughs> oh, okay. We'll so that's not the that. third step then. Okay. <laughs> nah. Okay. So well, thank you for having me. It was good being on. And, I'll, and also, I'll, all the information I'll put in the show notes, too. So, yes. And, and definitely the podcast well worth listening to. 
Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Take care. Bye.